May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Man, I love that movie. <laughs> Maybe we should just watch the rest of the movie this morning. I think that would be pretty good, actually. Hey, uh, good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. Uh, so glad that you've joined us today as we kick off our brand new series, uh, The Greatest Stories You've Never Heard. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is looking at some incredible stories from the Bible that you uh, have probably never heard of. And, and uh, you know, even if you've been reading the Bible for most of your life, they're kind of hiding in plain sight. Um, and we're going to see that these are just really fascinating stories, but also very life-changing uh, as well. Now, I do want to make a little bit of a disclaimer before this message and really the whole series. Uh, when we say stories, uh, we're not talking about kind of fairy tales or fables. We're talking about true stories. Uh, these are actually uh, historical accounts of real things that happen to real people. And today, we're actually going to start with one of my personal favorite stories uh, from the Bible. Uh, it's a story that I was unfamiliar with for many, many years, and I had been reading the Bible uh, for most of my life. It's the story of a runaway slave uh, named Onesimus, uh, a man who experienced the dangers and anxieties uh, of being a fugitive uh, slave. And so let me give you kind of the cast of characters. If you pull out your message notes that are in your uh, worship guide uh, at the top on the front page, uh, got a kind of cast of characters at the top. Uh, I'm going to have you fill those in so we kind of know uh, who the main characters are in our story for today. Uh, so first you have Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Now, Paul was the kind of main leader, or at least the most well-known leader uh, of the church in the first century in like the first few decades after Jesus's life. And he wrote letters to a bunch of churches around uh, the Mediterranean world, and 13 of those letters ended up in our uh, New Testament. And so in our story, the Apostle Paul is actually in prison, okay? He's in prison in the city of Rome, okay? So you got the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome. Next, this is your next character, you have Philemon, the slave owner, Philemon, the slave owner. And I, I call him slave owner because that's kind of the part of his life that's highlighted uh, in this story. Uh, but there was more to him than that, obviously. Uh, I imagine the name Philemon is probably not that familiar to most of you. So we're going to all say it together, okay? Philemon on three. One, two, three. Philemon. Hey, great job. All right. So Philemon was a Christian leader in the town of Colossae, uh, which is in Turkey. That's about a thousand miles away from Rome where Paul was in prison. And uh, Philemon was relatively wealthy. Um, we know that he hosted a church in his home, and he owned at least one slave, which was not unusual at all uh, for that time in history. And number three, you have Onesimus the slave. Onesimus the slave. Now, I imagine that's a, a name you're not familiar with as well. Uh, so let's say the name together. Onesimus on three. One, two, three. Onesimus. Right. And so those are the cast of characters. You have Paul, the Apostle Paul, in prison in Rome, and a thousand miles away in Colossae, you have Philemon, um, who hosts a church in his house, and Onesimus is one of his slaves. Now, I do want to say something about slavery, just a couple comments before we continue. Um, in the Roman world, which is the, the world where the church got started, uh, the world of the New Testament, um, slavery was everywhere. I mean, uh, it was, uh, people estimate that a third of the Roman Empire were actually slaves. Um, it was just a fact of life. And slaves had zero rights. I mean, literally zero. Um, Greek and Roman writers at the time who we might think of as kind of enlightened people like Aristotle, people like that would describe slaves as um, tools who could talk. I mean, they were really thought of as, as not even really a person. 
Um, and so this is just a fact of life in the time uh, of the New Testament. So there was this huge social chasm between those who were slave and those who were free. And that was just kind of the way the world was at the time. So we're going to read about the story in a second, but I want to give you kind of the Cliff Notes version first. Uh, so here's what happened. Onesimus was, was in Colossae with Philemon, his master, and he ran away. We don't know why he ran away, uh, but he became a fugitive slave. And this was a very, very serious thing. I mean, in the Roman world, fugitive slaves were killed for running away because they wanted to deter other slaves uh, from running away as well. Uh, and uh, if they weren't killed, they were punished very severely. Um, and actually, Roman law also required citizens to turn in fugitive slaves if they found out uh, that somebody was. And there were penalties for not doing that. It was a very serious matter. And so Onesimus runs away. And just like Harrison Ford in that clip, like he experienced that. I mean, he would have been constantly looking over his shoulder, fearing for his life, that his master is pursuing him, that government officials are pursuing him, that private bounty hunters are uh, pursuing him. He would have had to like fake ID at like different government checkpoints. He would have had to use an alias. I mean, that whole thing, like Onesimus lived that reality out. And somehow he made it to Paul. Okay, a thousand miles away, Paul's in prison. Onesimus made it there. And we don't know exactly how he found him, uh, but that's not really the point. The point is he found him, and, and through Paul's influence, Onesimus became a Christ follower. Uh, he was not a Christian before uh, he met Paul. And after he became a Christ follower through Paul's influence, uh, he started to help Paul in his ministry in Rome uh, while Paul was in prison, and he became very important to Paul. But somewhere along the line, Paul found out that Onesimus was a runaway slave. And he also found out that Philemon was his master. And guess what? Paul knew Philemon. He knew who he was. And so he wrote a letter to Philemon basically saying, your runaway slave is here with me, and I'm getting ready to send him back to you. And we have a copy of that letter. It's a real letter. We have a copy of it in the New Testament. It's called Philemon. And for those of you who... uh, have a sense of the New Testament. It's right before Hebrews. It only takes up a half a page on one page of the Bible. And you, so it's real easy uh, to skip over it. So we're going to actually read the whole thing this morning. In fact, on the front of your uh, message notes, that is the whole book of Philemon. It's actually a letter. It's only 25 verses long. So we're going to go through it, and I'm going to uh, pause it a few times and comment on some things. And then when we get to the end, we're going to pull out some lessons because we're going to find that this ancient letter really matters for our life today in some uh, really important ways. So let's read through it, starting in Philemon 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, pause right there. You get the sense that this is a letter? Okay, you can hear it's kind of the opening greeting. Paul is saying, hey, I'm writing this and I'm sending it. And he, he talks about who the letter is addressed to. And what's interesting is he, it's to Philemon, but he addresses it to a wider group. Like, like he's expecting that the church that meets in Philemon's home is also going to read this letter. So there's like a, a wide kind of circle of listeners for what's going on. So let's keep going. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4. So Paul continues. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love 
has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now let's pause there. So what's he doing? Paul is encouraging Philemon, right? He's, he's building him up and saying, man, I've heard about your faith and you're this amazing leader in the church and, and, and Paul tells him that he's praying for him and he's really setting Philemon up for the real reason that he's writing this letter, which he's about to go into in the next verse. So let's keep going. Verse 8. Now this is a little bit longer section, um, so just hang with me here, okay? Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. And then the last couple of verses, he makes some personal remarks. Verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's it. It's the end of the letter. You actually just read a whole book of the Bible in church. You didn't know that was going to happen this morning, right? Your pastor's just going to read a, Bible, a book of the Bible to you. But that's it. That's the whole letter. And so you have the top leader in the church writing to one friend, a slave owner, about another friend a runaway slave. And so what is Paul trying to make happen here? And what does that mean for us? That's really the key question. What is God teaching me through the story of the fugitive slave? Well, number one, I should view myself as a peacemaker. I should view myself as a peacemaker. Just view yourself as a person who makes peace where you can. I mean, that's what Paul was doing in this situation. Uh, he, he knew two people who were at odds, and he stepped up and used his influence to make peace. He wasn't going to just let things stay the way they were. And did you notice the way he did it? He did it with love. He was very diplomatic. You know, he started out by uh, praising Philemon and encouraging him and telling him how thankful he was for him. He, he led off with encouragement. He didn't just get in his face about it right away. He was trying to make peace. And then he also emphasized how important Onesimus was to him because he was trying to get Philemon to have some compassion uh, for Onesimus and to, to view him not as a slave anymore, but as he said in verse 16, as a brother in Christ. So he's trying to kind of dial back the anger that he thinks Philemon's going to have when he writes the letter. So here's what you have to ask yourself. Is there somebody in my life that I need to make peace with? Or 
Are there people in my life that I know who are not at peace that I can help them bridge that divide? I mean, maybe you had a, a falling out with a friend um, or a sibling, parent, child, coworker. Maybe it wasn't even your fault. I don't know, maybe it was. Uh, maybe you said something you regret or somebody said something to you that just echoes in your head every day and, and you just cannot even imagine um, letting that go. It doesn't matter who's to blame. Make peace. That's what we're learning from this letter. It just starts small. Write a letter. Send a text. Send an email. Phone call. But be the person to take the first small step toward peace. Initiate that peace so that reconciliation can happen. And look, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It is not easy to be a peacemaker. Do you think it was easy for Paul to initiate peace between a slave owner and his fugitive slave who were often killed for doing that? That was not easy. But Paul was acting on what Jesus actually called all of us to do. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, what does he mean by saying they will be called sons of God? It means if you are a peacemaker, you will resemble God. In the same way that sons and daughters resemble their parents, if you're a peacemaker, you will exhibit one of God's family traits. That's what that means. Because the truth is, God is the ultimate peacemaker. That's what he was doing when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. You see, we were all at odds with God. You know, our sin separated us from God. He's perfect, we are not. And God is a just God, and so sin had to be dealt with. There is a penalty for sin. And so we were not at peace with God because of our sin. But Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and sacrificed himself on the cross for a reason. And the reason he did that was to pay the penalty for all of our sins, for all of time. Yours, mine, past, present, future. He paid the penalty so that there would be no need for there to be any punishment, and we could be at peace with God. That's what Jesus was doing, was providing a way for us to be reconciled to God. So if you are not a Christ follower, if you have not accepted that free gift that Jesus has offered you, uh, I'm going to give you some time at the end of the message to do that. There's actually a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes that you can pray. But know this, God loves you. He knows you. It's not that he just loves everybody and you're swept up in that. He knows you and loves you and died for you specifically. And he's extended that offer to you and he's just waiting for you to accept it. So I would encourage you to do that this morning. Number two, another thing we can learn from this letter, I need to show countercultural grace. I need to show countercultural grace. You know, grace is a word that we hear uh, a lot in different contexts, but true grace is countercultural you really understand what grace is. You see, our society says people get what they deserve. If you do something wrong, you get punished. But grace tells a different story. Grace ignores what you deserve and gives you blessings in spite of it. And that's what Jesus embodied, right? We deserve hell because of our sin. But not only through Christ do we not experience that penalty, we are given a relationship with God and the blessing of being able to go to heaven. And that's grace. And it's a very, very countercultural concept. And there's grace all over this letter. I mean, Paul is asking Philemon not only to not punish his runaway slave, which, by the way, he was legally and socially expected to do. 
He's asking him not only not to punish him, but to view him as a brother in Christ, to view him as an equal. And Paul goes a step further and offers his own grace and says, you know, if there's any kind of financial barrier between you guys making peace, I'll pay that. I will pay it, charge it to me. And so Paul personally takes on that debt, just like Christ took on our sin debt on the cross. And so Paul makes the personal sacrifice to be sure that uh, Philemon can accept Onesimus back um, as a brother. And this is in a culture, remember, that viewed slaves as less than human, like animals. So how can you show grace to people in your life? I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. uh, But a great way to start is if somebody insults you or, or wrongs you in some way, don't get even. Just let it go. Make the willful choice not to give people what they deserve and show grace uh, the way God showed grace to you. Uh, How about giving people the benefit of the doubt? It's kind of a lost art in our social media age, I would say. Instead of launching into an attack against somebody who has a different opinion than you, give them some grace. Be kind in a countercultural way. Assume the best about people rather than the worst. And if you want to get really serious about showing grace, find a way to serve somebody that you don't like. I gotta say, the best illustration that I've seen of grace uh, in the recent past um, was the families of the Charleston shooting victims and how um, just days after this tragedy, they stood up in court and forgave the shooter. They just forgave him. They made that difficult biblical choice to show grace and to show love to model the grace that Christ had showed them. Remember, Christ said, love your enemies. And that's what that's all about. And in a world that says you should hate people who hate you, in a society that says people get what they deserve, they offered something else. They offered grace and forgiveness. And did you see how that completely stunned the world? It was stunning. Countercultural. The shooter did not deserve their grace. We can all agree on that. But you know what? We didn't deserve God's grace either. Number three, one more thing. My identity as a Christ follower trumps everything else. My identity as a Christ follower trumps everything else. You see, that's what Paul wanted Philemon to grasp, okay? Um, I mentioned earlier that Paul wrote multiple letters. This letter to Philemon is one of them. In another one of his letters, Galatians, Um, he wrote about his reasoning for this. Look at this, Galatians 3, 26 to 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and I want you to underline the rest of this, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying. Whatever social category you put yourself in, if you're a Christ follower, your identity as a Christ follower trumps all those other categories. That's what that means. They don't even compare because you are literally a new creation if you follow Christ. That's what the Bible says. And so Paul's letter to Philemon is putting this teaching into practice, right? He's saying that Philemon and Onesimus are separated by this massive social chasm between slave and free. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works. You're both Christ followers. 
Those worldly labels and boundaries that separate you mean nothing in the church. That's what he's getting at. He's trying to get Philemon to completely forget about his status as a slave owner, a free person, and forget about Onesimus' status as a slave and view Onesimus instead as a brother in Christ. That's what he's trying to see happen. So what does that say to us? In case you haven't noticed, um, our culture has been having a conversation about identity and where identity comes from. So this is actually this ancient letter about a very specific circumstance. It's very relevant uh, for what's going on in our world today. This is what this all means. If you are a Christ follower, your identity is found in Christ. Okay? You might identify as a Republican. Okay? That means nothing to your identity as a Christ follower. You might identify as a Democrat. You might think of yourself as rich or successful. You might identify as gay. You might identify as straight. You might identify as pro-gun. You might identify as transgender. You might identify as a stay-at-home mom. You might identify as a Texan. Uh, You might identify as something else less awesome than a Texan. You might be young. You might be old. You may be educated. You may not be. All of those categories are meaningless in the church because your identity is found in Christ. That's what this means. So if you find yourself caring more about your identity based on one of these other categories, if you find yourself primarily identifying by one of these other social markers, then you have not fully embraced your new identity in Christ. Paul followed Christ's example with this letter of being a peacemaker. Um, He asked Philemon to show countercultural grace to his runaway slave, and he reminded him that his identity as a Christ follower trumped any social distance between him and Onesimus. Now, we don't have any letters written back. We don't know how uh, Philemon responded when he received the letter. Did he show that countercultural grace? I hope so. I hope he did. Uh, We do know that a lot of people were watching how he was going to respond uh, because Paul addressed the letter to really the whole church that met in his house. Um, And the world is watching us in the same way. Will we be viewed, the church, as people who make peace or people who divide? How will we be viewed? Will we be known for our extraordinary countercultural grace, like the Charleston victims' families? Will we view our identities as Christ followers as the most important marker of who we are? Will we live like that's true? Just imagine what the world would see if we lived like that. So go ahead and pull out your connection cards. Let's ask God to help us take some next steps. Number one, God, I'm asking you to help me view myself as a peacemaker. Would you make that commitment to view peacemaking as something that you care about, that's a feature of your life? Would you start there and just view yourself that way and ask God to help you? Uh, Number two, God, I'm asking you to show me how to make peace with someone this week or facilitate peace between others who are in conflict. Um, I imagine when I was talking earlier about peacemaking and 
being in conflict, somebody popped into your head. Uh, Somebody that you are not at peace with, or maybe somebody in your life who is at odds with somebody else. Would you check this next step and ask God to show you how peace can be brought about through you in that situation? That's a tough one, but would you make that commitment? Number three, God, I'm asking you to enable me to show countercultural grace to others. Would you make that commitment? To ask God to help you to be somebody who demonstrates his grace. That you're going to be that person in your circle of friends, in your office, in your family. You are the one who shows countercultural grace. Would you make that commitment? Uh, Number four, help me to view myself first and foremost as a Christ follower. If you are a Christ follower and, and you don't view that primarily as your identity, trumping everything else, would you make the commitment to ask God to help you change your view? Number five, God, I'm asking you to speak to me as I read the whole letter to Philemon this week and reflect on what it means for my life. Would you commit to reading it one more time? It's right there on the front of your notes. Read it one more time and just pray and ask God to show you uh, what he wants you to change in your life and what it means for you. Would you make that commitment? Uh, Number six, sign me up for the on-campus small group experience, Sunday, July 19th at 5.30 p.m. Uh, You have one of these in your worship guide. Okay, this is our summer small group Um, information, and next Sunday, July 19th, um, right here on campus, if you are not in a small group, you can come here and be a part, and we actually have a a video that we filmed with an internationally known uh, author, speaker, on the subject of questions every Christ follower should be able to answer. Um, If you felt like you learned something new this morning, um, there's going to be some incredible information here um, in our meeting next week. It's awesome. So uh, check that next step, and we'll send you information, and you can RSVP Uh, We would love to have you be here and be a part of it. Number seven, God, I'm asking you to save me as I pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Uh, If that's you, if you've never become a Christ follower and and you heard the the good news of Jesus today for the first time, I would highly encourage you to pray that prayer. I'm going to give you some time in just a second to do that. But check this next step, number seven, uh, letting us know that you're planning on praying the prayer because we can then send you some information in the mail uh, that'll help you um, with some first steps in your new life following Christ. But uh, here's what I want everybody to do. Everybody in here, bow your heads. Everybody in here, bow your heads. And I'm going to give everybody a few moments to just reflect on this message and what God has said to you, the next steps you've taken. And if you're going to pray the prayer to become a Christ follower, now is your chance to do that. So take just a few moments. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you allowed this short little letter from 2,000 years ago to come down to us so that we can read about you and your heart and and be inspired uh, to show grace and to be peacemakers and um, to just put you first in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in this room and show us what it means to apply that to our lives. Um, God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you are the great peacemaker that you sent your son Jesus to die for all of us so that we could all be at peace with you, Lord. And I just pray that that truth would just um, just be close to us this week. 
and that we would feel your presence with us and your love. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.